Amen. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Thank you, musicians. All right, once again, I want to get into our series. I'm talking about prayer. I'm sure you enjoyed the presence of the Lord last Sunday morning, how God can take something that is very ordinary and make it become extraordinary. He, he specializes in turning water into wine. I can't see you smile, but at least I can hear you say amen. All right, thank you. At least I know you're still there. All right. So this morning, as we come into our series on prayer, very often when we think about prayer, we think about prayers requested. For example, somebody will say, can you please pray for me? All right. And so we say yes. And I hope when we say yes, we will actually do it. A lot of people say yes, and then they don't do it. All right. So prayers requested. Then we hear about prayers being offered. And sometimes when you listen to people praying, you feel like you don't qualify because they pray so well. But you cannot pray like them. Uh, that's, you know, like, let's pray over the meal. And, and we hear of prayers being offered. But occasionally when you read the Bible, God sometimes allows us to eavesdrop on the prayers of people who are crying people who are hurting, people who are struggling with different issues. And that's the holy of holies of prayer, where no one hears and God allows us to hear precious conversations between an individual and himself. And he has it recorded so that we can understand that God loves individuals. It's not that God so love the world, but God loves individuals in the world. God pays attention to people. Doesn't matter what their, their ages may be. He speaks to a little boy by the name of Samuel who does not know how to discern between the voice of God and the voice of man. There's no age gap when it comes to God for every person. How many of you know that children don't have a, a child Jesus inside of them? Because they are a child, so they have a child Jesus. No, no, they have the same Jesus that you and I possess inside of our lives. Come on, amen? Huh? The same God. So God uh, listens to the prayers of people. I'm sure many of you are familiar and you have also memorized James chapter 5 and verse 18, which is often preached by many of us preachers concerning prayer. And it says this, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So when you look at that, you go, wow, effective, fervent, prayer, righteous. And you look at yourself and you begin to go, mine is more defective, unrighteous. And so you think, my prayer is not going to avail anything. But what I like about that verse is, there's a verse before that in verse 17 that says, Elijah was a man with human frailties. Passion translation. Human frailties, just like us, but he prayed. And I like that one because it speaks to me. With my human frailties, Elijah prayed. Sometimes we look at our human frailties and we don't pray. And because he had human frailties, yet it says he was righteous. 
How much more you and me made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Now we begin to understand that the frail human being, when he prays, his prayers are powerful. They are effective prayers. Why? Because in his weakness, he still decides, I'm going to pray. And that makes it effective. Come on, amen? Sometimes prayers that are prayed publicly are not very effective because they are made for the hearing of individuals. Sometimes in a service, we go away saying, today worship was good. <laughs> today, not so good. Well, the worship was not for you. <laughs> it was for God. <laughs> but we, we, we say, what we are saying is we enjoy the performance. So sometimes prayers can be like a performance, but God takes us behind the veil into the holy of holies where desperate hard prayers are prayed. Prayers from the heart. Prayers prayed because the, uh, uh, they were going through a really difficult time. So once again, I want to go back to the last message that I shared, taking the scripture from Genesis chapter 32, talking about Jacob's prayer. Le lessons from the weak. I said praying through our weakness the last time. I want to continue with that one, taking from Jacob's prayer, verses 9 through verse 12. Do we have the scriptures up there? It's up there, is it? Okay, it's not in front of me, so I see blank. All right. Those watching online in the comfort of your homes, I pray that the, you will open your hearts and listen because God wants every one of us to understand that if we can grasp this, that every weak person begins to pray, they are powerful and things can happen. It's just that when we begin to look at our own weakness, we begin to think, man, I, I just don't qualify. I pray that my prayers won't mean anything. Let them lead in prayer. I'll just say amen to it. No, no, no. God doesn't want an amen from you. He wants a prayer from you. He wants you to agree, Lord, let this happen. I may not have the words to it, but Lord, let this happen. So let's go from verse 12. So Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. This is a bit of a selfish prayer, you know, because he's praying not of, my, of the attack me and the mother. Then he's got three other wives with all the other children, but he doesn't pray for all the three. He's got just one person in mind. That terrible fella. <laughs> all right. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, he starts off the prayer by talking about Abraham. In, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, in Isaiah chapter 41, and in James, where Abraham is referred to as the friend of God. Now, it's one thing to say, I know the prime minister. It's another thing for the prime minister to say, I know Sherwin Ma. Huh? 
One thing to say, oh, yeah, the Prime Minister, he's my friend. It's another thing for the Prime Minister to say, Sherwin Moore is my friend. It's one thing to say, I know God. It's another thing for God to say, this guy is my friend. Come on, amen. So when God says, Abraham is my prayer, we, we listen and we can understand that Abraham is a great man. It seems like he's a man with no faults except for the mistake he made of uh, pushing the hand of God or, or going ahead of God by taking another woman to, and that also it was his wife's fault. Well, anyway, when the wife said, take my maid, he says, yes, ma'am, all right, okay, so anyway, uh, that, that part, but apart from that, Abraham was called a friend of God, he was a man of faith, he started off well, everything about Abraham was great, then he talks about Isaac, my father Isaac, and Isaac was also a great guy, you know, a man who gave himself freely as a young teenager, allowing his father to lift the knife and almost kill him, except that the father withdrew the hand at the beckoning of God. But still, they were great people. Now, here is Jacob on the other hand. And he is totally different altogether. That's why when he approaches God, it's, it's a very different scenario. He's not praying like a friend of God. He's praying like from a distance, but at the same time in his weakness. And he's just crying out because death is approaching him. He's about to die. He knows there's an army coming. The brother with more than 400 people coming to kill him. He knows that. So he sends everybody ahead of him. He's, he's protecting himself. He sends the servants, he sends the flocks, he sends the, the other wives. Then he sends his favorite wife. Then he hides behind everybody. What a wonderful man. And here he is now in the desperate hours beginning to cry out to God. But God hears him. As I mentioned last, uh, uh, the two Sundays ago when I spoke to you, I said, God is calling. Psalm 137 verse 5 uh, and verse 2 verse 5. God is called the powerful one of Jacob. He's called the strong one of Jacob. Not the powerful one of, of uh, uh, Israel. And that name is used interchangeably. He's not called the powerful one of Israel or the strong one or the mighty one of Israel. He's called the mighty one, the strong one, the powerful one of Jacob. And that's what I want to emphasize this morning. That when I am weak, God becomes my strength if I will only look to him. Unfortunately, we hide from him. You know, like I said, one of the questions God asked Adam, the first question he asked Adam was, where are you? And Adam understood the meaning of the question. He knew God was not asking for his physical or geographical location. So he didn't say, I'm hiding behind the tree, Lord. His first response was, I heard your voice and I was afraid. He knew the question. When I heard you, I felt embarrassed. I hid myself from you. Everybody following with me? So here is Jacob now in his prayer. What I like about his prayer is this, and we want to learn from him. First of all, we want to talk about the simplicity of the prayer of Jacob. Firstly, it was direct. Please, don't think we, you can fool God. Sometimes we beat around the bush. If you have people beating around the bush, you know what that means, huh? We talk about everything else, and then what we want to know is, what is the problem? But we'll talk this talk. Sometimes people can go for hours talking about everything else when they don't mention the real problem. And, go, and our prayers, God said, you know, don't be like the Pharisees. 
All the Sadducees, they think that they will be heard because of their many words. They think they will be heard because they prayed long prayers. You know, I grew up in a Pentecostal background where they say, if you don't pray an hour every day, you are backslidden. So everybody must pray at least an hour. And if you don't know how to pray, you just get down on your knees and you mumble something for one hour. You will not be heard because of the length of time or the number of words you say. I like Solomon's prayer where he stands in the dedication of the temple. Long prayer, but it is a public prayer. Very nice. And when we look at the prayer, we begin to think, wow, such wonderful words. And after he prays, the glory of God comes out. Man, fantastic. I could never pray like Solomon. Some can pray for hours. And when the Lord leads, sometimes he takes us in long time of season of prayer. And when we wake up, I mean, we don't know that we have prayed so long. But it is not necessary for us to say to ourselves, I must pray for at least an hour a day. And they teach you how to pray an hour a day. When you take the Lord's Prayer, and you start off with our Father. Then you start, hallowed be your name. And you start mentioning all the names. I mean, it is just being uh, repetitious when you see the prayers of somebody and you repeat the same thing and again and again now if it helps you by all means wonderful but what God wants is to hear prayers from the holy of holies of your heart for God looks on the heart God's not looking into your minds to see how good your thoughts are he's looking into your heart to see what your cry is and it is a very direct prayer. God, I am afraid. I'm going through a very difficult season in my life. My life is in danger. My brother is coming. He just mentions it to God. Come on, amen. Very simple, very direct. It is bathed in humility. I am not worthy. I pray that amazing grace will always be amazing to you. That we will always understand where we come from and where we are now. But by the grace of God, someone once said, there go I. Remember Frank Houston who was, you know, a, a very great mentor to me at a stage. Of course, he's gone on. They, at one time, he was with another minister, a great man of God who began to talk about Frank Houston's approach. He said they were outside the church and they were walking and there was this, this guy, early in the morning, this guy is walking and he's totally drunk in Australia. The guy is walking by and he's drunk and he falls on the ground. And the other, the great preacher said to Frank Houston, early in the morning, the guy is already drunk. And Frank Houston said, but by the grace of God, there go I but by the grace of God. If it was not the grace of God, that's where I would be. Prayer that is bathed. Lord, I am not worthy, he says, of the mercies and of your great truths that you have given to me. Now, we have heard the message so many times. We have heard the gospel from the time we were young and, and now we are grown up, you know, in the Lord. We have heard so many messages. 
whether from this church or from other churches or from TV or from radio or from, the, from your CDs, whatever. You've heard so many messages of the truth of God. I remember this guy, I shared this with you. He would come and share with me all the things that God was revealing to him. My one question was, what are you doing with what you have received? That's why in our Bible study I said, you know, that we are set free when we begin to have information on knowledge. But knowledge that is not applied does not make a person free. Because we know what to do. Come on. We know that prayer is good. Knowledge. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. How does the truth make us free? When we hear and practice that truth. So we know that praying is good, but until we pray, it is ineffective. Does not bring transformation, does not bring revelation, does not bring the, the, the wonderful things that God wants for us. We know these things. We know that the promises of God are yes and amen. But do we claim the promises of God? Make it become reality in our lives. It is based in humility. Also, the most important ingredient that this prayer has is, it is totally argumentative. Which means that he comes to the courts of God. I think it is in Job chapter, uh, maybe 32 verse 4, something like, I, I have to go search it up again. Where Job says, when you enter into the courts of God, come with your mouth filled with arguments. Our prayers would be far more effective if we had arguments instead of doctrine. Sometimes it is good to have the, I mean, it is important, imperative that we have the right doctrine, but it is very, very important for us to understand that prayer involves argument. God, you said this, and now this thing is happening, and we bring our case before the Lord. Come on, amen. Learning to argue before God. And God's not afraid of it. Listen, God loves. I like it when, you know, when, when the scripture has this confrontation where God says, challenge me now and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. I like to be challenged. Talking to this old man of God at one time in, in another country. And he's a great man of God. And I talked about walking by faith, stepping out and doing something I've never done before. Uh, and, and I said to him, what if it is not of God? He says, oh, David, he says, you don't understand. God loves this. He loves it when we step out by faith and get something done rather than wait for things to happen because God has given us the authority to start doing things. Come on, amen. Huh? Pray big prayers. Step out and, and watch the miracle happen. Take water out of the pots and serve it. You do not know what can happen. Water turns into wine. Shout with a loud voice. Things begin to take place. See, this is what happens when, when we come before God. The problem is we are so reserved and, and we are so careful. We think that we will offend God. God is not offended. I'm so glad that God doesn't take offense as easily as we take offense. Slightest thing, get upset argue. Now get argumentative with God for goodness sake, not with one another. <laughs> argue, 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 argue. For what? Get it before God. Argue with God. You see, that, that shows us that we have a good relationship. If I was not saved, I guess I would have 
chosen law. <laughs> because it's good. It's nice. And I like to take that into my Christian faith. Where you come and you argue, and if you look at Job's case, he's arguing with God concerning a lot of things. And then God begins to argue back with him. All right, since you said this, let me ask you this question. That's a good conversation. Come on. You're all very quiet. It's not monologue. It's not me just talking to God and nothing happens. It's me coming into the courts of God and we have a case going on. And God speaks back and I speak back and God speaks back. If you were to bring us out into this uh, wilderness, God, and then, uh, you know, and, and you say you want to kill all the people of Israel out here in the wilderness, what will people say about you? You know how to bring them out. You don't know how to bring them in. Good argument. God, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? You said, you know, that you will spare the righteous. Now, if I find righteous people... If there are 50 righteous people in Sodom, will you destroy them? God says, no, 50. All right, how about 40? How about 30? There's a conversation going on. An argument that takes us, okay, finally I give in to you. If you can find 10, I will spare the city. That's good. Now his arguments begin with a covenant. Oh, you need to understand this. You need to understand this. This. For with great desire have I desired to cut this covenant with you, Jesus said. Because it's a new covenant. He begins with a covenant. He begins to say, oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. God, you promise to be the God of the children of Abraham. You promise to be the uh, children of Isaac. You, uh, the God of uh, the children of Isaac. I am the grandson of Abraham. I am the son of Isaac. You made a covenant with my fathers and you never break covenants. God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. If he makes a covenant, he keeps it. If he says, I, I have saved you and I will love you with an everlasting love, he means it. It's a covenant. Hey, I thank God. God is not a man. He says it himself. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should break covenants. He's not. He is God. And so Jacob comes and he begins to talk about covenant. You made a covenant with your son Jesus that all who call upon his name shall be saved. Come on church. You made a covenant through your son Jesus. He shed his blood. All this is involved in the covenant that we are saved. That uh, we will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That if we ask anything in his name, you will answer. That's your covenant. Amen. He came before God with a covenant. His argument is based upon God's faithfulness. I started with nothing but a stick in my hand. I know who I am. And yet in spite of it all, God, you were faithful. And you blessed me. I went into my uncle and I cheated him. And you blessed me. Your faithfulness in the past is a promise to be faithful in the future. Just because nothing is happening to me in the now, and God's not answering my prayer in the now, does not mean that he has become unfaithful. Take a look over your shoulder and you will understand that his faithfulness in the past 
will also be proven in the future. God is faithful. Amen? That's what it says. He cannot deny himself. Though I have got no faith, he cannot deny himself. He shall remain faithful. Faithful to the end. In fact, when he speaks to Israel, he talks to Israel like a husband to a wife. He says, find fault with me. What have I done that you have now deserted me and gone after other lovers? I said I will be a husband to you forever. In his, you know, in his dealings with Israel, he was at times harsh and hard. But he said, I am married to you. This is the word of God. I am married to you forever. Faithful, faithful to the end. Can I hear an amen? His argument ends with the promise. I always keep saying this. God's promises are yes and let it be so. Yes and let it be so. Amen means let it be done to me as it is written. Amen. Let it be done to me as it is written. Let it be so. That the promises of God. Now God, you said. It's not somebody else, but you said. Because you said it, you must fulfill it. Amen. Huh? If God didn't say it, that's why I'm, I'm so thankful for the Bible. I'm thankful for the word of God. It is not a book that you read. It is the word of the living God. And the word is spirit. And the word is life. Amen. And when he speaks it, it becomes life to us. It is our spirit. It feeds our very spirit being. So what is he saying? He's saying, first of all, that God has an inclination to do good. Our, our prayer begins with the understanding that God has always wanted to do good for mankind. There is no inclination in the heart of God to do bad to any of us. So the scripture begins in Genesis chapter 1 that everything God had done, he stood back and he said, it is very good. It is good. Why do you call me good, said Jesus? For there is no one good but God. That's where you get the word good. The root word is God. God is good. And he's always got this inclination to do good. He's looking out for some way to bless us. Always waiting for an opportunity to bless us. So we have uh, our service last Sunday morning. And we are all into worship. And it's like God is just waiting to bless somebody in church. And while the worship is going on, there's a young lady who comes off and on, off and on with her, uh, with her auntie who's you know, a wonderful, wonderful prayer woman. And they are sitting together and while the worship is going on, she suddenly gets filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks out in another language for the first time in her life. It's like I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I have this inclination to do good. Is there anybody who wants to receive goodness from me? Come on, amen. If our hearts are just open to him, we don't come into a service to just sing songs and to listen to somebody yell through the mic. And go away saying that was a good massage message. 
I felt good. This, today was good. No, 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 no. He wants more. He doesn't want you to just feel good. He wants you to receive good. To enjoy the goodness of the Lord. Amen. God works all things for our good. So while we are thinking of all the things that are happening around, his inclination is, I want to do them good. Sure, these things are bad, but I'm going to turn it around for good because I'm going to work all things. They cannot see it, but I'm going to work all things for good. I was reading just a little uh, article. And the person said, you know, I've, I've lived in the Bible for many, many years now. I love the Bible. I enjoy the Bible. And, and you know, I'm a believer and I, I enjoy God's word and everything. But he said, I've got a little bit of a problem. My problem is a talking bush, a talking serpent, a talking donkey. That's the problem I have. And the guy said, they were sitting in a coffee shop and the guy said, do you think that God has the ability to lift this whole coffee shop up into the air? And the guy said, well, I guess if God wanted to, God can. Then he said, how about, do you believe that God can take this little packet of sugar and throw it on the floor? He said, yeah, I mean, if God wanted to, I'm sure he can. He said, and that is the problem. We believe that God can do all these great and mighty things, but we focus on the little packet of sugar. Instead of understanding that God is able to do great and even small things, if he's God, he can do it. And when we see all these things are happening, we don't begin to understand that in the background, the inclination to do good is at work. So God is working all things, although I may not understand what the all things mean. But he's doing it for my good because I love him and I want to follow his ways. Amen. That God has already, this is another thing about the goodness of God. God has already done good. You brought me out. You began well, God. And he who has begun a good work in you will make sure that the good work is complete. Amen? He started a good work. Things may get bad along the way as far as we are concerned, but God is doing a good work and he will complete that work. He has already done me good and he's got no intention of doing me bad. He's never failed me. <laughs> God has never failed me yet and he never will. That God has the ability to continue to do me good. Amen? He not only wants to do me good, he has the complete ability. He is able to do. Amen? Huh? Able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above 
all that we can ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20, all that I can ever ask or imagine. You won't ask for anything bad. You won't imagine anything bad when it comes into the presence of God. You want something good. That's why you come into his presence. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you now present your uh, request before God and all that you desire. Sometimes we present certain things before God, but our desires are bigger than our requests. Because we are afraid to exceed the riches of God. We think God should, you know, I should just keep it within this limit than God. I don't want to expire God's resources. But God is able to do exceeding abundantly. Last of all, God is obligated to do good. Because of his own nature. Because he is good, he will do good. There's nothing that proceeds out of God that is bad. Absolutely nothing. And that's why I serve a good God. And his goodness keeps following me. Running after me. I wait in your tomorrows. I will go before you. I will stay in your tomorrows. Before your tomorrow arrives, I'm already there. I know what awaits you in your tomorrows. And I will be waiting for you when you come. So great is your faithfulness, O God. Every morning when I rise up, I begin to taste of your kindness. Your loving kindness is better than life. Great is your faithfulness. Each morning when I arise, God, you are there. Amen. We were in Penang over the last couple of days and the sunrise was not that spectacular. At one time it was and then after that it was cloudy, but the sunsets were amazing. And you begin to think, what a wonderful way to close the night for us. God begins beautifully and he ends the day beautifully. There's a season of darkness we go through, but morning comes. And long before the morning comes, the bird sings its same song from the moment it was born until the moment it dies. It has got no new song to sing. It's the same song it sings every day. And God cheers and says, that's wonderful. I gave you that song and you sing it. You are so faithful in singing that song every morning until the day it drops to the ground and dies. That bird sings the same song, same tune. Never change the tune, Nelson. We got so many songs every day, man. Sometimes hard to catch up with the songs. But the bird, one song. And God says, that's the song I gave you. Listen to the bird. And when it falls to the ground, I know. Why would God talk about a sparrow that falls to the ground? Because it sang the same song. And when it fell to the ground, God said, I took notice of that one sparrow that fell to the ground. I serve a good God. How about you? Amen. He's a good God. And that's why Jacob's prayer was answered powerfully. God transformed the whole situation for a man who prayed through his weakness. And the way he prayed it touched the heart of God. Amen. Touched the heart of God. Yet here was a man flawed in so many ways. And yet God said, I like that prayer. Record it in my word so that others can read it and understand that I love prayers like this. Prayers that will touch my heart and get heaven to respond. Can I hear an amen? That's what we want. We want God to respond to our prayers. And as I said, don't look, don't, don't look at the great prayers that are prayed. Look at the prayers behind the veil. Prayers that are come out of the heart of God.
people that are broken. No wonder God says, a broken and a contrite spirit, I will not reject, but I will receive. Amen? Stand with me.